together today if you would Lord Jesus truly it's the desire of our hearts today Father that we can be able to learn how to submit ourselves to you more and more the presence of God can be able to flow through our redeemed part reflect itself through the unredeemed to bring it all subject to you what a great thing you made Lord us thinking about it this morning there's nothing on the earth as low as a man that's a sinner He'll kill, he'll destroy, he'll murder, he'll mutilate. A man that's lost can be so wretched and so vile, so selfish. But yet, on the other hand, nothing reflects the glory of God any greater than a man or woman who's born again. So what makes the ultimate difference is the power of God to give us a new birth and change us. So we look into your word today, Father, help us, I pray. May we not just gather here, Lord, because it's Sunday morning, it's something that we do, we've come to do our religious duties, but may we hear from heaven, may what we hear change our lives and make us more like you. Father, we need you so much, we love you. Dear God, I hold this prayer cross in my hand today for Sister Becky Lance, you see, Father, some procedures that's laying before her. I ask you, dear God, that you would just go with her. Lord, she wanted wanted us to pray over this prayer cloth and be able to preach with it today so she could take it into the room. Lord God, we just ask you that you'd be with our sister. May there be no evil that'll come of this, Lord. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. I greet you today in the name of the Lord. Trust you're, trust you're doing well in the presence of the Lord. Fighting devils. And winning. Man, that's what we want to do. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. And also Matthew 26, 33. <clears throat> Take us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. Matthew 26, 33. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee. Yet will I never be offended. Though all men, now watch what he's doing. He's elevating himself above Peter, James, John, Bartholomew, Matthew, all of the men that are now sitting around him. I am better than them. I'm greater I'm more consecrated to you. There is no one like me. I feel sorry. <clears throat> I feel sorry for big mouth people, aren't they? Because you know they're going to pay big time. Well, let's look at this little fox again this morning of an unsurrendered life, shall we? You may be seated. God bless you. Verse 34, Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, 
yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. They are justified, saved as we call it. They are sanctified, baptized, casting out devils, preaching, healing the sick, doing many wonderful works. And Peter was a firebrand anyway, so his human makeup was going to be a great weakness. It didn't look like it because it looked like his strengths. It looked as if, though, this confidence that he had was godly, but there really wasn't anything godly about it at all. It was self-confidence, which is based upon pride and arrogance. That's right. Self-confidence is a sin. It is a great weakness in most of humanity. Some are able to express it in a more quiet form. Some are like Peter. They're more verbal about it, more vocal about it. They're going to let everybody know how great they are, how wonderful they are. The kingdom of God cannot move without them. They're not even sure how the earth hangs in space without them, but somehow it does. But yet, you know, most people aren't quite that foolish, but most of us still have the vanity of our humanity that torments us. <clears throat> but let's say Peter had quite an extra dose, quite an extra large dose. But getting around his brothers, even humble John, whose temperament was so different, but even John gets caught up in this atmosphere which has been created by Peter. And as we read last night that Mark identified it and said that uh, Peter answered him vehemently. So he's very strong, very passionate. He's not just calmly the way I am this morning. Just saying, no, Jesus, no, 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 no. Now, now you're mistaken now. Jesus quoted the scripture. The prophet said that I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. Well, I'm above the word. You see, I, my experience is greater than the word. I mean, Jesus, you're, you're wrong. You see how destructive self-confidence really is. Now, the rest of the apostles had self-confidence, and this is the danger, you see, of a strong leader with self-confidence as well. Because that strong leader has the capability of igniting the weaker self-confidence in other people. So here Peter in his strong uh, desire to be something great and his flamboyance and his vehement expression, it actually ignited the rest of the brethren's self-confidence as well. You see how contagious we are to one another? Humility has the ability of striking humility in the hearts of other people. And so does self-confidence and arrogance and many, many things that we could be able to talk about. But yet, when you look at Peter, we know that he was a man that loved God. We believe that, do we not? And we believe that more than likely he felt like that he was speaking from his heart and felt like that his passion and his desire was a godly desire. But the thing of it is, I guarantee if we take Peter out of this setting and put him in a fishing boat, much of that humanity that we saw expressed for the Lord Jesus was expressed when he cussed. Same thing was expressed when he drunk. He was probably one of the loudest mouthed drunks whenever he'd get on a drunk. He was the same way for the devil. 
And yet people will take that whenever they come to God and they will attribute that, their great passion, their great desire, their this, that, and the other. And they look at that as if, though it's a godly given trait. And they look down on those that aren't as passionate about things and as, you know, flamboyant as they are. And they look at us some great God-given thing. But if you only knew their past life, you'd, you'd watch them going down the road. There's on the back of a Harley. Their ponytail flying in the wind. Ain't got nothing to do with God. That's your human makeup. Well, I say y'all going to be quiet on me all morning. And you see, this is what gets us in trouble when we don't have the ability to discern and separate what's godly about us and what's human about us. Now, Peter is looking at it in such a way, well, you know what, I'll tell you one thing, I feel sorry for John and all the rest of these guys are weak Christians anyway. They just don't have what I got. I'm just one of a kind. That's just the truth of it. I'll tell you one thing, when it's all said and done, Jesus, it'll be me and you. Hallelujah. When that millennium is said, I guess I'm going to be at your right hand. Paul, John and them was asking about who's going to be on the left and the right hand. They won't even come in the show. They're puny and they're weak and they've never stood up for you. Why look at me. I'm the main man all through the four gospels I'm the most resound I'm the most big mouth I mean I'm the most one who stands up for what's right yeah he was but the very thing that got him notoriety was the very thing that was going to cause him to fall you see whenever we present God our strength as we looked at last night with Samson we think oh my that's the very thing that God wants God don't want that that's the thing that God has to bring us into the place to where we think well my faith is so strong boy I'll tell you one thing my zeal my this that and the other Abraham's strength was his faith it was through his greatest point that he fell when he went to Egypt and when he went to the land of the Philistines in the area of his strength. Praise the Lord. Notice in Luke chapter 22 verse 31. Now remember, Peter's a great man, but he has an unsurrendered heart. What he's give to God is his passion. He's give to God his exuberance and his great desire. He's give to God his gift to be able to lay hands on the sick. Oh, he gave that to God, yes. But watch the Lord Jesus now in Luke twenty two thirty one. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But your great love and your great desire and your great determination but I have prayed for thee now you imagine how a man now that it has his self-confidence this is humiliating the Lord Jesus doesn't pull him off to one side now and tell him this by himself but he tells it in front of everybody. Now, in conveying this, the Lord Jesus is letting him know he is not strong enough in himself to face the trial that is coming. Now, for a man like Peter, this does not go over well at all. I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. When thou art converted, Lord have mercy. 
When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Now, it's interesting when you look at this statement that the Lord Jesus makes, that it's actually said after the disciples have begun to dispute among themselves which one is going to be the greatest. And then the Lord Jesus says this about Peter. Now, notice this in verse 33. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. No, you're wrong. You don't need to pray for me. You better pray for John. You better pray for Mark. You better pray for... You're totally wrong if you sing. I need extra prayer. I remember we looked last night that he stood right in the face of Zechariah's prophecy and said he did not believe it. He took two phases of the word. That was the logos and the rhema. Whenever the Lord Jesus brought the rhema, which was the present tense word, and told him, you will deny me, he said, nope, you're wrong. I will not deny you. Though all men forsake you, I'll be right there. I'll stand with you. Here the Lord Jesus now directs it in a more personal way and said, Peter, I prayed for you because there's a great trial laying in front of you and you're not going to be able to make it on your own. He said, well, I'll tell you one thing. I think you're wrong, Jesus. I think you're kind of messed up because I don't need your prayer. Pray for somebody else that needs it because I'm the strongest man you've got. Oh, my goodness. Look at the danger of an unsurrendered heart. He said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go. Say, what is he doing for him? He's come right back and refuting the very words the Lord Jesus said. I don't need your prayers. Look at me. Tell me who I am. Petra the rock. Let's look at him a couple days after this. And what do we find? Peter the marshmallow. crying, weeping. God have mercy on. Is there any hope for me? Oh God, I've sinned beyond, I've sinned beyond mercy. Uh-huh. What happened to the rock? Oh my. You know, here he stands and he said, I am so strong. I'm not even scared of prison. I scoff at death. I ridicule prison. And who was it that helped bring out his weakness? Women. So he's warming by the fire. Wasn't a Roman centurion. It was not the Praetorian guard. Women. So a woman said, Wasn't you at Happy Valley? I thought I passed by the pair the other day and saw your car. That wasn't me. Somebody here in Elizabethan's got a car just like mine. It was not me. And then another one comes. Not a Praetorian guard now. Not a Roman centurion. A woman. Now with their culture and the way that they look down on women, to be humbled, Brother John, to be brought to a place that you would deny the Lord Jesus and one of the ones who instigated and brought forth your weakness was the weaker sex. Oh my, Peter wasn't flattered at all with these words of the Lord Jesus.
Notice Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Well, praise the Lord. I'd imagine there's probably things here in us today that if we knew it, it'd scare us to death. In our humanity, I'm talking about. The difference between a real consecrated child of God and just a make-believe Christian is when God deals with a consecrated child of God, something in their life, they change it. The weakling Christian just goes on and let it build up, build up, build up. But a real child of God, once they realize that they're wrong and they need to move up, then they take the correction of the word. Notice Jeremiah says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins. I try the reins. Even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Now, notice this. You know, when we look at strengths and we, we take our, our consolation out of the places in our life where we are strong, as I mentioned with Abraham and his faith was the very avenue that Abraham fell. It was Moses, one of Moses' greatest strengths was that Moses was the meekest man on the earth. Right? Moses was the meekest man on the earth But yet out of that strength brewed a violent temper, which actually caused him to say such words and lose his temper before the presence of God that it kept him out of the promised land. But you'd think a man that was the meekest man on the earth would never have any problems with temper. Apparently that's what he thought about himself as well. So he felt like because he was the meekest man, but don't bother me. It'll never cause me an issue. But it was the very thing that kept him out of the promised land. So I'm sure you're seeing the direction that we want to go. We cannot place confidence in anything about us. Whether it's your strengths, whether it's your weaknesses, family traits, family name, what church you go to. No, forget it all. We're safe in one place, and that is the Lord Jesus. I'm reminded of the man in, what was it, 1765, something like that, when he was out walking across a field, and it was a great hay field, and a storm comes up. And as it moves in, he realizes there's no place for him to go. So he takes off toward a wooded area, and he's unfamiliar with the area where he's at. So he moves about, and he gets around, and he sees that there's a place there. By the time he arrives, the rain is really coming down, the lightning and the thunder. And as he gets closer and closer, he sees a place, and it's a rocky outcrop right at the edge of some woods. And he comes in, and as he steps into the woods, there's a place there inside the rock. And he's able to step inside the rock. And as he does, he he moves there. And the the difficulty of the passing storm, he is now sheltered. As he looks down, he sees a gambling card, a playing card as it's laying there. The inspiration of God strikes his heart. He picks it up. He removes a, a writing instrument from his pocket. And he begins to write these words. Rock of ages. Cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. What? The storms of life. He could not run it. It was bigger than him. It was wetter than him. It was larger than what he was able to reach. But God had a provided way. It's the same with you and I. Laodicea is too big for us. The world is too powerful for us as humans. But God has cleft a rock, Christ Jesus, where we can be able to run to and get strength.
Our weaknesses will overpower us. Oh my. Our strengths will lead to our vanity. There's only one place we can hide, and that's in the grace of the Lord Jesus. Now, you know, this is sad somewhat, but yet I think it's reality that we must see it, that Peter did not know himself. Peter is speaking of the man that he thinks he is, not the man that he really was. He's speaking, Brother Dowell, and he has his confidence in the man that he believes he's this kind of a man. I don't think he's putting on to you. I don't think he's acting and just doing it for the sake of becoming embarrassed. I think he really is blessing. Oh, I tell you what, this is me. This is who I am, and I'm going to do it. And I feel sorry for the rest of you poor people because you're not like me, but it's just the way it is. I know Peter's been dead for a long time, but that same thing that was on Peter sure ain't dead. You imagine when he finally comes to himself. Let's end with him here momentarily. When they are sitting and Jesus calls them all together and says, come and dine. He has fish and coals and bread on the fire. Whenever he calls them in, he looks at Peter and said, Lovest thou me more than these? Now remember what Peter said. Though all men forsake you, I won't. Now Jesus is reversing before his fall. Do you love me more than all your brothers. He ain't talking about the fish. He's talking about all these brothers because that was his brag. Do you love me more than John? Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? How many times did he deny him? How many times did he ask him, do you love me? Isn't it amazing now that he didn't say, I still love you more than John. I feel sorry for Luke. I mean, I feel sorry for Mark and all the rest of them. There's only one Peter. Thank God there's only one. But you know what, friends? He learned the power of failure. It's a shame that we have to fall flat of our face. And it brings us to such humiliation and would actually render what God would wanted us to render without such a calamity of failure. Remember that I was talking about prior to coming out before the service and was talking about Samson. Look what God did in the life of Samson at the very end, the very last move of his life. He killed more Philistines in that very thing than he did through his entire life. But to me, it's so sad. He had to end his life in order to fulfill his life. How much more could he have done for God had he been able to give that, that part of his heart to the Lord? What did he do right before he dies? He gives it to God. Right before he dies, Brother Terry, he arrives to that place and he said, now, Lord, I see it. Now I see what I should have been doing all along. I should have given you this part of myself. But now my eyes are poked out and they're making fun of me and they're ridiculing me. Now, God, I'm willing to give you what you've wanted for decades of my life. Children, 
Let's not wait that long. Now we close the story of Peter's life. We will open into the life of another. This time it'll be a woman. Her name is Martha. Martha was a carnal type of believer. Martha was really concerned about cooking. She was concerned about more so about the house and than Mary was, her sister. And yet, if you look at yourself, you'll realize that you are both Mary and Martha. And when the real need comes for the Lord Jesus, now we know that they made tapestries, and they sold tapestries, which is the way that they supplemented their income. They were cast out of the synagogue. They were hated and despised because they had accepted the Lord Jesus. Not only had they accepted him on the messianic terms, but the Lord Jesus was a personal friend to Lazarus. And he personally loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So there was a a camaraderie there somehow, Bethany being just a few miles from Jerusalem. So Jesus frequented their house. And he would visit them. And oh, of course, he didn't have any property and place to stay. So he would stay with different people. So Jesus expressed two values of love to Mary and Martha and Lazarus. That was the attribute of eternal love being one of the attributes of God. And also we see an insight in the book of John of the humanity of the Lord Jesus. How that Jesus had certain people that he enjoyed being around. And that he spent a lot of time with. Now, our setting opens up in John chapter 11, verse 1. Now, a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, listen now, Lord, behold, He whom thou lovest is sick. Amen. 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 Now, you know one thing I love about John is that John knew he was special. John knew that he had a special place in the affection of the Lord Jesus. But he had no problem in writing about other people who were loved. Now we're talking about elect. A lot of us want to think we're the only ones loved and nobody else is even liked. We don't understand love yet. Now John knew that he was really, really loved and he knew that he was really special. But John also knew that the Lord Jesus loved others and he had no problem and been able to acknowledge this. And the saints said... That's exactly right. Now notice this, John 19, 25. must have been kind of odd in saying these things, but we'll read them. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, which was John, 
He saith unto his mother, woman, behold thy son. Then he saith to the disciple, behold thy mother. So he, he tells Mary from the cross, he said, now behold thy son. Look at John, because John is going to take you home with him, and he's going to take care of you. Then he saith to the disciple, behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her into his own home. Chapter 20, verse 2. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, some people would have taken this maybe as an element of arrogance or pride or whatever more. Apparently, John felt the freedom from the Holy Ghost. Remember, the book of John was written while he was on the Isle of Patmos. So this is about 60 years after this happened. So he, he feels the liberty to be able to relate his relationship to the Lord Jesus. So they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know that where they have laid him. John 21, 7. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, it is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he girded his fisher coat unto him, for he was naked. Well, that could be one reason Jesus liked him better. John knew how to keep himself clothed. Chapter 21, verse 20, Then Peter, turning about, seeing the disciple whom Jesus loved, following which also leaned on his breast at supper, saying, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? So it was a common fact now known among the brethren that Jesus loved John in particular. Now, John, with that kind of a love, you know, I love dealing with these type of a people because they can also recognize that God loves other people and that other people have ministries and singing abilities and preaching abilities and so on. And they don't have to feel out like they're the only child. That's why some folks have to always spiritualize themselves above everybody else. Because they want to project themselves that they're the only child. It's the only child syndrome really is what it is. They've got to feel out like they're more loved and they're more special. And you know, I say, why wow, the Lord don't have time to talk to me much. Because from some of the guys I've talked to around the message, he ain't got no time to barely say nothing to me because he talks to them 24-7. Well, first of all, I don't believe that because the character don't match it. If he done all that talking to them, more than likely, they probably wouldn't share 90% of what the Lord tells them because they'd realize a lot of it is personal anyhow. It ain't used for bragging rights. Thank you, Jesus. Now, watch this. Let's go back now to John eleven four. When Jesus heard that, He said, this sickness, is not unto death. Now, I know you may find this amazing, as I was sitting down in Kentucky just a few days ago studying for Carol's sister's funeral. I was in the hotel room by myself. The Lord woke me up at 5.20 in the morning before daylight and gave me some words to speak. And as I sat there in the room studying, this began, <coughs> excuse me, to explode, absolutely explode on me. I brought a condensed version of it there at the funeral. But listen, when Jesus heard that, he said, the sickness is not unto death. Now, let me just ask you, if you would have been standing there that day, the messenger comes. Now, remember, the, the time frame is a four-day period. So the messenger leaves on day one. It's a pretty good walk from where Bethany is to where the Lord Jesus is. So sometime up in the day, he gets there on day one. By the time he reaches the Lord Jesus, more than likely on the timeline, Lazarus is already dead. 
So he comes and he tells the Lord Jesus, Mary and Martha want me to tell you that Lazarus is very sick. So instead of Jesus now turning and going back to where that he was, the scripture says that Jesus tarried there two more days. So day one is passed, so Jesus stays day two and day three. Now watch, and when Jesus hears this, that Lazarus is sick, he comes out and tells the apostle, well, don't worry about it because actually this sickness is not unto death. In other words, it ain't going to kill him. This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. That the Son of God may be glorified thereby. Now, you know, Jesus is not using a play on words, but he is expressing death and life from a two-dimensional view. From his dimensional view from where he was, and where he frequented while he was here in his humanity, it is not going to kill him. But it's going to kill him. And he's not going to die, but he's going to die. And the sickness is not unto death, but it is unto death. It ain't no wonder people think we're crazy. Now, death, when you look at what death is, it is the privation of life. Death to a believer All it is is simply the transition from this dimension of bondage and mortality into the realm that we bypass to come here in our humanity, right? Theophany. So whenever you look at death, and it is the separation, it is the dividing or the departure of life from the body, which leaves the body here to go back to the dust of the earth. But a real faith life, amen. A real faith life overpowers death. A real faith life can never come under the consequence of death. Never. A real believer never dies. You see, in the way that they were looking at it, now death, of course, is the final issue. Or the separation of life from death. Now at this time, of course, in the Hebraic teaching, it was a teaching that they broke up the mourning in two cycles. And that was the first three days they, they mourned and they wept in one way. And yet in day four, they moved into the final stage of mourning, which was the real heavy lamentation, the real severe, you know, where they put ashes on their head and all of that. Because it was the teaching of the rabbis that the spirit hung around the body for the first three days. So there was a possibility that you might raise up. So Jesus has got to disprove that theory totally. As far as they was concerned, when day four come, they enter into the real lamenting and the mourning. (laughs) And Jesus shows up four days late and says, all right, Lazarus, it's time to get up. (laughs) Praise be to God. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, notice this. Again, we have this double view of the Lord Jesus in Matthew 9, 24. He said unto them, give place for the maid is not dead but sleepest, and they laughed him to scorn. 
So Jesus comes to the maid, of course, that had died, and he said, hey, 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 get out of here, get out of here, leave me and death alone. This little girl ain't dead. They said, this man is crazy. We heard that he was out of his mind, so they laughed at him to scorn him and ridicule him and make fun of him. Because why? They said, she's dead. He said, oh, no, she's not dead. I'm fixing to call her because she's got eternal life. I knew her before the foundation of the world. This little girl is not dead. Oh, blessed be the Lord. How strange now that John, back to John eleven five. Now Jesus loves Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Why does John keep saying this? So after it is said that Jesus loved them, then he's going to tell us that Jesus didn't go. Don't you understand what the basis of the delay is on love? The foundation of the delay for the two days is based on verse 4. Jesus Love them. Remember, four is the number of earthly deliverance. So Jesus, Mary and Martha said, Lord, the man that you love, he's, uh, he, he's sick. So time one, Jesus, uh, the man you love is sick. Now John comes and says it again. Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. After we hear that. It's as if though that very words that have just been spoken are going to be tried to the very core. How could a friend love one and leave him in the state of death? The word here that's rendered love in this verse is different from John eleven three. It signifies the love of a tender affection. Here the word means the love of a chosen friendship. Now, in eternal life, being representatives of the attributes of God, they were on the same plane. But here now, we see an insight to the human part of the Lord Jesus that it was a chosen friendship, so he looked at them and he loved them as a man. Oh, my. As a man, he loved being around them and loved talking to them and loved staying with them. They must have had a really nice home. A comfortable home, an atmosphere that the Lord Jesus just loved to come in and be there. And Jesus said, I just kind of like hanging out with you all. That's what he would say today. I'll tell you one thing. That's the kind of home I want on 209 Coil Run Court. I want the kind of home that Jesus says to me and Carol, I really like the way I feel when I come to y'all's house. I really like the atmosphere that I feel when I come to say, Lord, come back anytime you want. You are welcome every day. Notice in Proverbs 8, 17, the Bible says, I love them that love me. And those that seek me early shall find me. You see, people look at God and they think that God is unjust because he would love some above or even beyond others. But here he gives us a principal basis by which God looks at that. God looks at it and says, I love them that love me. Oh, does God love the world? Sure, John 3, 16 tells us so. But does he love them in the same way as he loved those who give their life for him, who consecrate themselves for him and give everything they are to him? I tell you, no. Oh, John, 
himself a chosen one by which the master's tender heart had been personally expressed to him is now capable of seeing that in others. Again, I'm talking about elect quality now. That the elect have the ability to supersede and go beyond what other humans would look at and they can see it's the hand of God moving on the lives of others and dealing with the lives of others. I was looking at, ah, oh, there ain't no hope for them. There ain't no help for them. My, may God help us that we can be that way. Notice in verse 6. Now I know you're wondering, what in the world has this got to do with an unsurrendered heart? Give me a few minutes. John eleven six. 6. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still. But on what basis? Verse 4. Because he loves them. How many of y'all have been in time of need and praying and the Lord delayed on you? Does it hurt your feelings? Come on, let's be honest now. We're just humans. Does it hurt your feelings sometimes, Brother Dave? You kind of get offended and think, Lord, I, I don't understand this. I don't understand. I, I'm in a desperate need. I, I am desperate. I really need help. And it seems like God won't even move. Praise be to God. He heard, therefore, that he was sick and he abode two days still in the same place where he was. So this is what we would like to look at as the delays of love. Already now, it's been said that Jesus loved Lazarus, verse 1. And it's been said to us again in verse 4 that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So the basis then, we don't have any question, I don't think, do we, that Jesus loved all of them? That he cared for them not only as God, but he loved them as one human would love another. And preferential treatment as far as company and all of that, that he really enjoyed being around them. So they were loved by the Lord Jesus in two ways. Praise the Lord. So the love question, I think, surely is settled in our mind. But yet there was something about this, how that God wanted to bring a further glory to his own name and his own power. And the delay was necessary. You see, if God always answered us as soon as we prayed, we would be more spoiled than what we are now. Delays actually help build our faith. It helps build our trust. It actually can go to the element of helping build our character because we keep on believing and trusting and confessing the word and saying God is true. God is faithful. God is right. Have you got your healing yet? Nope, I ain't got it yet, but I'm going to by the grace of God because God is faithful. He cannot lie. Praise the Lord. So the delays bring out something in us that quick answered prayers will never do. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, the thing is that Lazarus was sick and by this time had now died in spite of the fact that Jesus loved him. How many saints have been buried since Calvary? Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions. Jesus loving you don't stop you from death. Jesus loving you don't stop you from trouble. Where do we get this idea that if we're a child of God, we're never going to go through trouble? There is no such teaching in the word of God. Couldn't Jesus have healed him? Sure he could have. But that wasn't the real thing God wanted to do now. Now, notice so day two passes, day three, 
Now we come to where Mary and Martha are so torn up. The Lord Jesus, oh my, he now addresses to the apostles. And again, he's going to speak with a dual dimension language. Watch this, Brother Branham, I love this in this day the scripture fulfilled. He was a man of compassion, yet we fail sometimes to understand what compassion is. Not human sympathy. It isn't compassion. Compassion is doing the will of God. Now, doing the will of God may seem that it's not very compassionate toward humanity. And Brother Branham referenced, of course, the man that was laying uh, lame and had a prostate trouble for 38 years and was there. There's all kind of all kinds of more horrific types of situation worse than him. But yet the Lord Jesus stepped over this one, stepped over that one and went to a guy. Whatever he had wasn't going to kill him. It had been that way for 38 years. It had been there all of his life, a long, long time. And yet it had not brought him to a spot to worry that he was as bad as some of the rest of them, but he had to follow the will of God. So being compassionate is not following human sympathy, but following the will of God. Praise the Lord. Now notice in in verse 11, these things said he, after that he saith unto them, our friend Lazarus, sleepeth. But I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Oh, glory to God. I see two great things named in this verse. I see Lazarus named as a personal friend of the almighty God. And I see the greatest enemy that man has ever known. Death named Asleep. <laughs> Man's greatest enemy has always been death. Kings fear it. Potentates have feared it. Queens have feared it. Oh, that I could have five more minutes. The rich and the powerful have said, if I only had one more day of life, I would give my entire kingdom. But yet when your friend is the Lord Jesus, all you're fixing to go through, and remember, it's not your soul that sleeps then. It is only your body. You know as well as I do. Whenever our loved ones will pass and we walk up and we view the body and what posture are they there? They're not there in the form of riding a bicycle. The undertaker does not embalm them and put them up in the form of chopping wood. Or if they were a woodworker, they don't have a router in their hands and they're routing a board or they don't have a converter in their hands. How do they all look? They're laying there with their hands folded and their eyes closed. In what shape? In what symbolism? Sleep. But the soul of a child of God is not sleeping. I said the soul of a child of God is not sleeping. Praise God. Our friend, Lazarus. You're known by the company you keep. (laughs) This guy must have been a pretty high character, wasn't he? Now, if you notice, the Lord Jesus doesn't say my. 
but it says our. You believe what you want to believe. I believe it's an honor to be called friends by the people of God. Apparently, the Lord Jesus does. He was not only a friend of Jesus, he was a friend of Peter, which is quite a task within itself. A friend of John, a friend of all the rest of them. He said, our friend. Praise God. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Isn't it amazing? Same word, but not the same meaning. Praise be to God. He's sleeping. Oh, well, that's good. He's doing good. Yeah, well, praise the Lord. He's sleeping. How be it Jesus spake of his death? Two-dimensional talking. It always gets you in trouble. But they thought that he had spoken of taking rest in sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad. So this is your friend. You are dead. And he is glad. I've had a few friends like that. <laughs> oh my, I guarantee you some of it a lot to hear I'm dead. But notice, after the announcement that Lazarus is dead, then Jesus said, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. You know why? He couldn't have died. Glory to God. Do you understand the power of the Holy Ghost living in the soul of a believer? If God did not move his hand back, none of our saints would ever die. lives in us, power lives in us the Holy Ghost resides in us everything the devil put on us we'd believe God to move it we'd live 135 years old and 345 years old 975 years old 1,333 years old and God said I've got to do something Jim's 5,000 years old I've got to get him off the earth so why'd God say I'm going to limit man's day don't you understand children in the face of the Lord Jesus the prophet of God said he never preached a funeral he said hallelujah death could not happen in his presence if he would have walked up oh glory to God if he would have walked up he would have stopped the cycle of death in Lazarus' body Even in order for his saints to die, he has to pull back his hand. If he didn't, he would never die. So Lazarus is dead. Jesus is happy about it. I'm glad for your sake that I was not there. 
to the intent that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Verse 17, then when Jesus came, he found that they had lain in the grave four days already. So day one, messenger comes, Lazarus dies more than likely in the afternoon. Day two, delay. Day three, delay. Day four, it's the journey from wherever he is over to Bethany. So they arrive around lunch or sometime in the afternoon. It's hot. Oh, it's so hot. By now, the nose has already fallen in. Mortification is set in the body. He ain't going to do it in a day's time because he might think that he drunk something and woke him up. Praise be to God. If alcohol is God, let's let alcohol raise the dead. If marijuana is God, if science is God, if science is God, I'd like for them to make me one simple blade of grass. I won't ask for several different species. Only one simple blade of grass from nothing. If money is God, then let money make it for us. Praise God. Aren't you glad you're serving a living God? So here he is now. He's four days. Look at verse 21 now. Martha comes up. Martha was the older of the two sisters. You know, Mary generally was the one that kind of ran out. But this time, Martha comes out. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Now, Martha is an excellent example of a certain type of believer of whom we have many of in the day we live. They've always been around. They do not distrust the Lord. But they cannot totally trust him with everything. There are confidence which would allow them to believe beyond what they know. Now I'll prove it to you here in a moment. That Mary had, Martha had great confidence in what she knew. But her faith was very limited beyond what she knew. Hallelujah. They rest in good things and they do a lot of good things. But yet they are the type of person that's always asking how. And why? And how come? And I don't understand. And why is this? And why is that? Martha. Now I want you to notice how that her faith limited the Lord Jesus to location and time. If you would have been here, my brother would not have died. So watch her face now. If you would have come and you would have been here, then my brother would not have died. So her faith is tied to location. A lot of folks are the same way. I'll tell you one thing, I'm moving to Arizona because, boy, that's where the move of God is. Not me, bless God, I'm moving to Jeffersonville. Not me, I'm moving to Johnson City. Same kind of people. God's the same in Georgia. He's the same in Timbuktu. He's the same in Africa. He's the same in India. Or there's places that he's chosen. Sure they are. But we don't want to limit God to time and place. 
You see, such faith always limits God and has the boundaries of there. If you would have been here, well, if you'd have come yesterday, but now you're you're, you're four days late now. It's just beyond hopes. There's just nothing in the world that can be done. Think of the supernatural. Can you imagine as that all gathered together and Mary and Martha would have been out there preparing the, the food, uh, the food rather, and they'd bring it in, sit down at the table, and they'd sit down, Lord Jesus, what's, what's been going on? Tell us. And then Peter said, you'll not believe it. The other day we come out of the city and there was a widow of name there. Her son was dead. Oh, really? Lord have mercy. He died. The Lord Jesus stepped over to the bar, to the coffin and spoke and that little boy come forth. But you know what then happened after that? We saw a dual reflection of who he really was. He stepped outside the city and sat down on a rock and groaned with a headache. And us, we were, we were perplexed. We couldn't believe it. We couldn't understand this. Oh, tell us another story. Oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, it might, wouldn't it have been wonderful to sit there and heard them stories. But now death has struck Martha's home. Oh, we can walk up here when somebody else's husband or wife or aunt or uncle is laying here and reach deep in our heart and grab consoling words. Well, it happens to everybody. But when it's your wife laying there or one of your children laying there, well, now it ain't the widow of Nain's son. It's her brother that was particularly loved by Jesus. So for Martha, who lives in the realm of why and how come and why didn't this happen and the limitations of this place and this time frame, boy, she is a troubled believer. Can I have a little more of your time? So they tend to scale down God's promises and reduce them and limit them according to the capacity of their own faith. Well, yeah, sure, he can do it. Oh, right, I, I know he can do it. But will he do it for you? That's the thing you want to know. Amen. You see, by putting him in place of time and also location, you're so undermining the own benefits of what God wants you to have. Notice chapter 11, verse 22. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou will ask God, God will give it thee, but whatever did not include a resurrection now. Isn't it amazing how we can be all inclusive and say, oh, God can do anything. Why? Sure, he can do anything. But can he take that cancer out of your body? Ah, he can do anything. Oh, my. A little later, she reacts to Christ's promise whenever he says, I am the resurrection. Do you believe this, he says? Or she says, I believe you're the Messiah. You see, Martha has an unsurrendered heart. Friends, this is where it really, this is where the rubber meets the road. Oh, my. Jesus says unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, with time, place, and all that faith, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection. You see what I'm saying, friends? Look at her faith. Her faith is limited to time to space, to where that she thinks is the right appropriation for it to happen. 
It's thus far to her. The resurrection is an event. Oh, blessed be the Lord God. Jesus is fixing to take the doctrine of the resurrection out of the Talmud. He's fixing to take the doctrine of the resurrection out of the Mosaic books and the books of the prophets and make the resurrection a person, not a doctrine. Oh, hallelujah. To me, my brother, sister, the rapture is not just an event in the future. It is an ongoing sequence of events that has been going on for many years. He's fixing to transform this doctrine and bring the resurrection to an embodiment. Praise be to God. (laughs) Martha, I am the resurrection. Believest thou this rhema word? Yea, Lord. I believe thou art Messiah, thou art sent into the world. What's she answering back? A general, generic confession of faith. She flatly denies what he asked her. He didn't ask her if she believed he was the Messiah. He did not ask her, did she, did she believe he was sent into the world? He asked her, do you believe I am? This is the fifth of seven I am's that he mentions about himself. Glory to God. I am the resurrection. Believe us thou this. Look, friends, let me close. It's generic around the message. God sent a prophet. God done miracles, signs, wonders. Sure he did. But do you believe this? That he's still among us. Not that prophet, but the same Lord Jesus. He's still here to save, to sanctify, to fill with the Holy Ghost, to meet among his children. Believest thou this? Or believest what was? Hallelujah. When you're sick, do you want a medical book or a doctor? If you're facing a lawsuit, you want a legal book or a lawyer? When you're facing death, do you want a doctrine or a life giver? This is why a saint of God can look at death and say, death, you can't scare me. You can't scare me. You're not my master. I am yours. Take me across the river. Praise be to God. Don't you love him, saints? Oh, praise the Lord. 
I wonder if we look at ourselves today in the view of Peter and Martha and find such similitudes we probably wouldn't like. Have we limited our God to time and place and circumstance and event like Martha? And when Jesus asks us a personal question, do you believe this? Oh, I believe there's a God. The devil does that. All of them do. Every devil in hell believes there's a God. And they're all oneness. They're a lot smarter than these two Lord people we got around the message. You won't find no devils believing two Lords. You won't find no Trinitarian devils. They've all been before him, not them. I want more than that, don't you? Hallelujah. I want to surrender. So if he asks me, Donnie, Donnie, do you believe this? Hebrews 13, 8, that I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do you believe this, Donnie? Well, now, I believed it in the 50s and the 60s now, Lord, but I'll, I'll tell you now, I don't know. We're, we're living in the last day. I want to believe this, that there will be a ministry on the earth that will cap off this bride, and it will be the same kind of church he started out with in the beginning. I believe this. He started it with an alpha bride. He'll end it with an omega bride. Brother Brown, the Omega, when he saw that in the vision, he did not see an alpha bride look like one thing and an Omega bride look like another, but he said it was the same bride that come right back around again. Amen. Believe us thou this? Amen. Believe us thou this? Amen. Glory. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's bow our heads together. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, we love you today. Father God, I pray through these simple examples, may we look at ourselves today, Lord. Maybe there's some elements there that the Word would show us about ourselves we might not like to see, but we know that's what the correction of the Word does. Pulls the cover off from our human hypocrisy. And helps us to see our failures and our shortcomings. Lord, I pray that the Spirit of God would move upon every heart. The young, the old. Dear God, those that have streamed the day and those that will archive the service. May you help each of us, Lord. May our pride and our human arrogance and our self-centeredness. Like Peter. Don't let us have to wind up on steps with our head in our hands, weeping and crying because we denied you. You don't have to go to that extreme. You don't even want to. You don't want to go to that extreme to humble your children. You want to just speak the word to us. And then we hear the word and we humble ourselves to the word. But many times our humanity is so stubborn and we're so hard-headed that you have to discipline us and discipline us and discipline us and deal with us sometimes, even in harsh measures. And then the devil twists it around and tries to convey to people that you're a mean God. It's not that you're a mean God. you got a bunch of hard-headed, mean kids. It ain't you, Lord. 
Oh, how you'd love this week to be able to deal with your children. You just speak to us. So that still small voice, don't do this. Don't say that. Don't go here. Don't go there. And we obeyed. We just simply, okay, Lord, sure, if that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. But you speak, and we override it. You speak again, and we override it. Then you get more stern and more difficult. It's not because of you. It's because of us. But Lord, we see you in your mercy reaching out to Peter. We see you in your mercy reaching out to Martha. Just flat out denying what you said. And refusing to even answer you. And then, Lord, when you told him to roll away the stone, she come in almost a form of a rebuke and said, Lord, it's been four days. He stinks by now. She was looking more at her brother's rotten body than the power of the conqueror. Glory to God. It's easy for us to look at our rotten child or our rotten wife or maybe our rotten husband or our rotten job instead of looking at the power of the conqueror. Praise God. But Lord, you didn't throw Martha off. Hallelujah, hallelujah. But your mercy kept dealing with her, Lord. You finally brought her to that place where she could believe not only what was and what was going to be in the future, but she could believe what was right in front of her. Help us this morning here, Lord. We will not only believe what you was in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. We'll not only believe what you're going to be in the millennium and in the eighth day. But we'll be able to recognize what you are right now. You're moving among your people in a body, a bride now. Not no great man, no great this, that, the other. No, just you moving among us. Getting us ready to leave this world. Grant it, Lord Jesus. May we surrender. Help us to realize today, Lord, I wish we could pray one prayer and we'd surrender all. I know we sing the song, Surrender All. It's a good thought, but in reality we know it comes from the consequence of a new birth in the soul. That is the power by which we will surrender. And we will surrender all, but it's like time release. As your word begins to reveal itself to us and then we surrender that and then that and then something else. And then as we go on, you, you convict us of something else and we surrender that. So it's an ongoing process until at last we will surrender our mortality. Those that go by the way of the grave, they move out of this body, enter into a theophany. Those of us that are alive and remaining, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, the Spirit of God from within us will sweep over our bodies. And it'll be the last surrender we'll ever make. I'll give up my mortal eyes. I'll give up my mortal hands. I'll give up my flesh and blood. Glory be to God. The same Holy Ghost that's been dealing with me all of my life. Just surrender, 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 surrender. And I'll make the final one when I surrender my mortality. Amen. Praise be to God. I believe, Lord, it's so close that there's people standing right here in this building today that will not die. 
but will be changed. Praise God. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Lord, would you move among us with your power to heal, to save, to deliver, to encourage. We love you, Lord. Excuse me just a moment, Lord. If you've got a need, while we're bringing our petitions to him, would you just raise your hand to him? Whether it's big or small, whatever your request, maybe a material one, a spiritual one, psychological one. Heavenly Father, excuse me for that interruption. Now I bring them, Lord Jesus. You know the needs of your children. There's hundreds and hundreds of us gathered here today. We've come here because we believe you're here. Lord, how many of these people that drove from Georgia and Alabama and down in Tennessee and different places, hours and hours they drove here to church, they passed no telling how many churches on their way. They could have found one closer to home. They could have found this, that, and other. But Lord, we've gathered here today because we believe you're here. They've not come because they think I'm so good and I'm so smart. Lord, they know I'm just a dumb Kentucky hillbilly. They've not come here because our music is more outstanding than any of the churches they passed along the way. And our building is more beautiful because it's not. But somehow they believe you're here. And we believe where you are, the supernatural manifests itself. Oh God, our situation may be rotten today. It may be like Lazarus. Corruption may be just, oh Lord, bawling out of our situation. Putrefication may just be the stench so strong because of the mess we've made. But Lord, we're going to look beyond the tomb. We know that Lazarus is buried in a cave and a rock rolled before it. But we know the real rock stood outside the rock. <laughs> Praise God. Putrefication was in the body. Putrefication was in the cave. But life was on the outside of the cave. Praise God. Now you're going to show the proof of your delay so that you might be glorified. Oh, Jesus, heal the sick today. Encourage those, Lord, that are down. Bring strength to the weary, my God. We worship you now, Lord Jesus. And we say that we are proud to be identified as your children. You are our God. You are our King. You are our Messiah. You are our Savior. You are not dead, but you are alive. And we believe you're alive forevermore. And if you ask us, believest thou this? We will say, yea, Lord. We believe you are the Christ. We believe you are the anointed word. We believe you are the bridegroom. Finishing up your bride. Praise be to God. We worship you, Lord Jesus. Let's just sing a little something together, can we, before we go. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord Jesus. Oh, thank you, Father. Thank you, blessed God. We magnify your name, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We worship you, Lord. Sing something for us, Harry. Let's just open our hearts to him, children. Now, we've heard the word. Now let's take the oil of worship and pour back upon the word and let it mix together 
would be like the little woman who took the sticks and who took the meal and took the little bit of flour. Three separate elements, but mixing them together for a common purpose. And what does it do? Transform it and makes it bread. Let us take our hands, our mouths, our hearts, our lips, the desires of our hearts. Take all the components that are mixed together. Let's offer them anointed with the sweetness of the Holy Ghost. And offer praise and love and adoration to our King. Praise be to God. We worship you, Jesus. You're worthy, O Adonai. Mighty Jehovah. Hallelujah. We bless your name, Lord Jesus. We worship you, Lord. You are here, moving in our midst. Oh, Jesus. I worship you. Yes, Lord. I worship you. Thank you, Father. You are here. Thank you, Father. Working in this place. I worship you. We worship you, Lord God Almighty. I worship you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You are here. Moving in our I worship Yeah. 
suffering. Hallelujah. God bless you, saints. If I could ever get you all out of them Baptist ways, we'd have church around you. God bless you. Love you so much. Amen. Keep working on you. All right, we'll do it. Amen. Don't you so appreciate the grace of God? God, speak to your heart today. Oh, he did to mine. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads and we'll pray together. Sister Teresa Vess had to leave service today because she got sick. We'd like to remember our sister she, as we depart here today. Heavenly Fathers, we come to the close of another service. Thank you for allowing us to be here today, Lord, in your presence. Lord Jesus, we're just asking that you'd help us to digest this things that we've heard and become them, Lord. Father, you see our sister Teresa Vest had to leave the service because of getting sick today, nothing but the enemy, just to try to knock her out of being here. But may the presence of God touch our sister, Lord. Others with needs in their bodies and in their homes, Lord Jesus, some that would have liked to have been here today, maybe they couldn't, so they streamed. May your presence come right there in the living room. God, we're not going to limit you to where that you have to be right here in this particular building. I hear it all the time of people in Africa, in Europe, in Germany, in India, in Canada. As they stream in a service, they got healed or they got delivered. The Holy Ghost come right in their room. Oh God, we don't want to be like Martha and limit you. We don't want to even limit you where you can only move on Sunday morning. We want to say you're a God that wants to move every day of our lives. We love you, Lord. Go with us now, Father. Bring us back Wednesday night if it be pleasing to you. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We love you with all of our hearts. Thank you for giving us another wonderful weekend together around your word. Praise God. God bless you, saints. God bless you. Turn and shake hands with one another. Tell them it's good to be in the house of the Lord today. Love you with all my heart. See you, Lord, with Wednesday night. You're dismissed. There is none like you. 
Bye. 